Welcome to the Knights of the Underground table. Uh, I am your host, John, and with me is Ryan King. Uh, Ryan? Oh, sorry. A butterfly landed on my microphone and, I, and it missed me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's just the worst. Now you're marked for death. <laughs> yeah, now I can't be on this podcast anymore. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, and also with us is, as always, uh, Michael Dixon. What's up, guys? Uh, it's good to be back. Um, we, as a podcast, apologize profusely for missing last week. We know all yeah. of our lawyer, loyal listeners are extremely pissed at us, so um, but we're back. Well, we got your letters. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we got your letters, America. Yeah. We came back. We threw them all in the trash. <laughs> You're upset about something. We don't know. We didn't know. We're going to yeah. do this podcast whenever we feel like, damn it. Oh, man. Some of those letters could have had money in them. <laughs> Oh, well. Uh, They're all burned now. <laughs> yes. We've had, um, we needed to take some time, honestly, to process exactly what went on yeah. in uh, tonight's pick, tonight's um, adventure, uh, which, um, Ryan, do you want to fill us in on exactly what we watched? Yeah. If anyone else followed along with watching this, um, it's, I don't know if I'm going to say sorry or what, uh, you determine what you watched. Cause we're going to have to figure out what we watched. <laughs> um, so yeah, branded for branded to kill. Yeah. Branded, right? branded, branded to kill. Um, say June Suzuki's, I guess, magnum opus or whatever. definitely, I guess the movie these he's known for, um, I had seen this as considered one of the best like 70s, late, late 60s, early 70s movies out of Japan, something that uh, names that keep coming up on our lists said was really great. Tarantino, mm. uh, Jim Jaramouche, Juan Kar Wai yeah. all think this is a really great movie and impacted their work. Um, so it's just something I hadn't seen. Want to go back and see a quick summary of the plot. Um our guy is the number three ranked assassin. I guess they have a list of ranking of assassins. Yeah, they have a John Wick world. Yeah, yep. For uh, the Yakuza, he takes on a job to transport a client, then he takes on another job to kill some guys. Essentially, he screws up shooting one guy when a butterfly lands on his sniper gun, mm -hmm. and he misses, and then... We've all been there. Yeah, that happens. Um, he's essentially the Yakuza, then determines that he has to die and they send assassins after him. Uh, that sounds like it makes a whole lot more sense than this movie made, honestly. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I did watch this with Darla and she was thoroughly confused as well and rated this very low. So that's a preview. Um, I wrote notes as I was watching it, but kind of stopped partway through because it was just a fever dream of a movie. Um, we can walk through the plot bit by bit, but I want to hear y'all's overall opinions. But I found it interesting. I think I would definitely have to rewatch this a few times to get what the heck was going on. But it it just seems to buck. I can see why Jim Jaramouche would like this because it just mm -hmm. seems to buck the traditions of being a movie, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> like, um, definitely things happen. I think it's purposely over the top with its like Yakuza storylines, like the assassinations and just the action is kind of ridiculous. Uh, there's definitely 
a lot of questionable exploitation of sex scenes as well that I think probably really pushed buttons in Japan. Um, but even here, even today, are a little bit like, okay, this is weird. This is going too far. Um, and yeah, I don't even, we were talking about it earlier a little bit, but I'm like, I don't even know what the last chunk of the movie <laughs> what's even going on john you look like you just saw a ghost yeah because yeah. <laughs> it starts off and you're kind of like okay he's you know he's doing this job and then he does a couple other jobs and it's sort of weird and kind of funny in some ways and then when he's branded to kill and he's just waiting it out with this other assassin and then that guy comes in and handcuffs himself to yeah our I, main guy and then they yeah. are hanging out for a while. Yeah, and you're just like, where is this movie going? And so, yeah, the end of it is just a fever dream of nonsense. Yeah, I wrote down, like. I broke this movie into five parts. Okay. I well, named like, the first part Pros Only. Yeah. Um, I named the second part Three Hits and a Miss. Uh, <laughs> nice. I named the third part Branded to Kill. The fourth part is The Odd Couple. <laughs> yeah. And then the fifth part is Who is Number One? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Okay, good. Great. So, okay. yeah, there's, there's, our, there's our breakdown. <laughs> All right. Awesome. So I'd like to hear kind of y'all's overall thoughts, and then let's try to go through what parts of this stand out to us. But mm -hmm. I'll hand off Dixon. What are, you, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Um, so I actually liked this a lot. I, I think um, it's one of the most highly stylized films that I've ever seen. It's, it's shot in black and white. It looks beautiful. It has this really great score that just kind of like, it's like comforting yet keeps you on the edge of your seat simultaneously. And I'm not really sure how they kind of threaded that needle and it achieved that, but it's got a lot of uh, bass, like, like bass, the stringed instrument and yeah. um, some synth and, and some other things that um, it just has a really unique sound to it that I, I really enjoyed. Um, the first, I was kind of thinking of this movie in, in three acts. The first act I thought was like kind of flawless. Like I, I thought it was really great. It moved really fast. There's a lot of stuff going on that really grabs your attention and, and keeps you into it. A lot of really great shots, a lot of action. Um, and then the second act, it slows down a little bit, but it's still really interesting. There's a lot of really great stylized shots of like heavy rain and yeah. some animation that comes in. That's really interesting. And, um, the final act is garbage. I think like the, <laughs> the, the, you know, the, the fourth and fifth acts that you were talking about, John, like the, yeah. um, the, the part where it's just the two assassins left, um, like it just screeches to a halt and it stops being interesting. Stylistically, it stops moving fast and having action. And I'm like, what the fuck? is going on here and it's a really anticlimactic kind of nihilistic ending um and normally i like nihilistic endings but it's just like i was like wait a minute we did this whole thing just for this that's why that's why we're sitting here um overall i i i did really enjoy it i think it has a really unique vision behind it and it's a very unique film um that's just a a, a lot of fun for the first couple acts and it definitely slows down, but I think it's well worth, um, it's well worth it because those first two acts I think are so good. So, um, yeah, I'll kick it over to you, John. Yeah. I didn't exactly know what I was getting into when I started watching it. Um, and the first time I watched it, yeah, I felt that fever dream feeling and I wasn't sure if I liked what I was seeing because I, I enjoyed the stylistic aspects of it. Like some of the overlays with the graphics, um, a lot of the audio play that happens in it, where sounds are being brought in and out, uh, reminded me kind of of M. 
um, yeah. in ways. And it was, it was very, it seemed very meticulous in the way that it was arranged. Um, I think I spent like the first 10 minutes trying to get over Joe Shishida's cheeks. Um, yes, I was very, very distracting. distracted by the chipmunk cheeks, um, yeah. which uh, I watched some behind the scenes interview yep. with him. And he said um, that a doctor told him to not do that. And he said, <laughs> that means I should, should do, do it. it. Yeah. And then he was like, I probably shouldn't have done it. <laughs> it got so, him a lot of roles. So he yeah. had kind of not been able to get roles. He got the surgery to like, Pro- he said he did it to give him a bones. more like unique leading man, look. yeah, be like a leading man role, yeah, thing. and it got him into a lot of like bad guy roles yeah. from here on out, and so I guess it worked. Yeah, um, when I, when I was watching it the first time, I was it was really distracting. It's like this otherwise svelte assassin who has this fat fucking face. It looks like he's like <laughs> storing nuts for the winter, <laughs> and I was like thinking of jokes like that one to say about him. I was like, wait a minute. What if this is like a medical condition and I'm just like making fun of him? And I looked it up. I was like, oh, no, he did this to himself. He got elective <laughs> surgery because he thought this was a good idea. So I can just like rail on this guy. Not have <laughs> yeah. any guilt whatsoever. It's, it's just it's so distracting when you're supposed to take him seriously as this hardcore assassin. And it looks like his face is stuffed with an entire pack of big league chew at all times. It's just like, yeah. I, <laughs> I, yeah, I thought initially when I saw him that he had been stung by a swarm of bees. Uh, yeah, uh, there's just like a whole lot of that where I was like, oh, okay, it's just his face. And then I moved past that. And by that point I was like, oh, he's really into rice. Like, yeah. oh, he's really into rice. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, when I was, I watched it again. Um, at least I watched most of it again recently. I was trying to catch up on it before this. Uh, and I found myself way more enamored with everything that was going on. Like now that I kind of knew where it was going, when I'm watching it a second time, I really enjoyed, I was able to just kind of sit there and soak in a lot of the style in it. Um, both from the audible sections and then also like the way that there's uh, a constant thumbing of the nose at the sensor boards yep. um, and everything that's being done. And I also watched, you know, some of the interviews for behind the scenes stuff. And that, that had a lot of really interesting aspects that like I now appreciate because I have some of the context of this. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it was very bizarre. And yeah, that last half where it became, or that last like act where it becomes just like a straight comedy in a way but with like a really sinister tone to it. And then suddenly it just takes that nihilistic turn of like, here's what happens to all these characters, like right in a row, like da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of left like, Oh, it's over. Okay. Sh- sure. I guess that makes sense. Sort of. Um, it feels so like yeah. they just didn't really know how to wrap it up. And it, yeah. it took weight. Like this movie should have been like 75 minutes long and it's like a little over an hour and a half. And it's just like, they, didn't need most of that last act. They could have trimmed it up. and So it's a bit yeah. interesting to look at the the background of, of this movie, like how it got made. And there's plenty we can talk about like afterwards and the impact. But uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the company. Nikatsu. Yeah. Yeah. They had, they just roll out tons of movies, but they had particularly been making B movies, uh, Yakuza B movies. They had a script already and the title and a release date. So this is like Ed Wood. Like they were already ready to make a movie called Branded to Kill. Mm-hmm. They got the script and said it makes no sense. And so, which is amazing, by the way, because that was the script that we never saw. We don't even know what that script was, oh, but man. apparently <laughs> it made no sense. Less so, sense somehow. Yeah. So they, they bring in Suzuki and say, uh, 
you get usually they get a week to prep for the movie and then they shoot it in 25 days and they do three <laughs> days of editing. A week that's, to prep? That's a week pre-production, oh 25 days of shots and then three days of editing. Damn. How do you even get all your locations figured out and like right. plan your yeah. shot? It, like that's not even possible. I think they do it, it's like B-movie style, right? So it's like- Yeah, you just figure it out as you go. It's like Roger Corman. We already have the Yakuza set. We already have this guy who uh-huh. plays a boss, right? And they just crank him out. Yep. And so they have less than a week now because they already had been into that week. They bring him in. He doesn't storyboard. Like traditionally, that's not something he does. So he, we're talking about Suzuki. Yeah, Suzuki. So he yeah. like figures a lot of the stuff out the night before the day on set. And so I'm shocked that this movie he, looks so good. I know. Yeah. And yeah. And then he works with the actors of kind of like let them loose to figure out what they want to do. And then he edited it in one day. He didn't even get to their three day editing because he didn't shoot anything extra. Again, Ed Wood style. He's like, yeah. we got what we need. And he edited it in one day. That's it's amazing. edited really well. Yeah. Like at least so the first good. two acts are edited really well. The last act. Like I said, there's some some fat in there to cut. Probably, uh, yeah. Off of off of number three's face, most uh, mostly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I agree. It's really interesting how good a lot of it comes off, and the style comes off for the fact that this is like really quickly slapped together. That's wild. Yeah. Um, like it just feels like there is such a singular vision behind this thing. Like this was something that was very meticulously planned out. That's crazy to hear that this came together so well. Uh, yeah. In like, that fashion, Joe Shishida said that. Suzuki didn't sleep for a month. He was like, he never changed his clothes. He didn't <laughs> sleep. He was just like, he was like, yeah, every cell of his body is just a film strip, basically. Like, Maybe that just, explains the final act of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, that was him. Just, he like, was delirium. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Starts to bleed into it and get really meta. Um, yeah. So how do we... We'll take our acts. Let's take our acts. Okay, yeah, I think that's good. I like that you broke into the five. Yeah, there we go. Okay, so we got part one. We got pros only. This is when we have the first job, and then we also have the introduction to, um, I believe the character's name is Goro Hanada. Yeah, Hanada is our main guy. Hanada's, yeah. We have the introduction to Hanada and his wife. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so we're getting a breakdown in part one where they're doing, it's not really an exposition dump, but there is a lot of exposition put into what the world is like, where they're like, there's a guy who's nervous. That's like, I've got a job. I need your help with it. Hanada. Um, I like wants to get back in. I fudged up at one point, but I'm not branded to kill. Uh, (laughs) I I fudged up and I want my way back into the organization. So help me pull off this job and protect whoever this client is on a point A to point B trip. Um, And you'll get paid handsomely. And I'll be back in the org. And they, they start their job. Uh, and that's when we get kind of, um, you're getting a real good taste at this point of immediately, like a lot of the style choices done. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of light play at work here. Like The when way the car shots were, I thought was interesting too. Because yeah. it's very like stylized car. Like it's not like they're running behind a screen behind them or whatever, make them look like they're driving. It no. It's like must be in a set. Yeah. And they just make like motion behind it. Yeah. And it almost feels surrealistic. It's like a it's like a um like an abstract car wash of sorts. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Where they yeah. just have at times like heavy rain pouring or there's like butterflies or whatever could be back there. They're yep. just kind of like showing it off. And yeah, that that's like one of those like, oh, this is a cool stylistic choice and really engaging because you're not only focused on like the characters and how they're having interactions and um even their acting is a little like hammy for yeah. the point of just bringing your attention to that. Um, I think at one point, I can't remember, Ryan, we talked about it just a, a little bit. Did you mention that there was some kind of like satirical edge to this? Yeah, I think this is playing up like Yakuza. Like this is a B Yakuza movie, but it almost seems like it's somewhat satirizing those types of movies. Like the 
the shots where they the, the ambushes that happen later are all over the top. The yeah. way the guys get shot at distances that doesn't even make sense. Um, at one point, the number four assassin oh, yeah, and Cole. this, yeah, and the 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 guy that Hanada is supposed to be helping out because yeah. I think Kasuga, Kasuga, yeah, they like run up and shoot each other essentially because Kasuga is like, I know you, and he's not going to kill me, and then they just kill each other, and. As the number four guy dies, he, he like falls back, right? And then he lands on the ground and pulls his own jacket like over his face. <laughs> and it's just ridiculous. And and I think a lot of it, especially the like when he gets into the and we get into the the three kills and a miss, yeah. it's some death promise level <laughs> yeah. assassinations uh, yeah. that he takes yes. on. And I think that that's just supposed to be like him just being like, let's just take Yakuza and, and blow it up, be moving and push it up to the top. Yeah. So, okay. So they're trying to do their job. They're point A to point B. That's when we're getting a lot of the shadow play in the car. We have like the nighttime sequence where they're driving. Um, and there's a lot of kind of tension built into, are they being followed or not? Cause we get like a good shot of a car that turns on and happens to, follow start following <laughs> them i guess well they and also get to the car and there's just a dead, a dead body, body, a dead body yep. yeah and they're, they're like, like oh i don't oh, know okay. what the hell this yes, is that happens here. yeah uh, they, they tell their client they're like i just thought you should know there was a dead guy where you're sitting and uh there's also like really cool they do that cool shot of like the mirror they adjust the rearview mirror and it like shows the light on his eyes to give you a glimpse of his reaction to yeah. that which is cool um but yeah, we, we get well, like, hold on uh, when the, yeah, when the car's like following him, that was like another incomprehensible early moment. The car's <laughs> following him and our, our Hanada assassin is like, tells the guy with the driver to do whatever. And he like James Bond, like flies out of the car with his gun, like yeah. and lands on the ground and points the gun at the other car. Yeah, he, he like, he does a mm-hmm. break and it's like a 90 degree turn of the car so that he can hop out of it. Speed racer style. By the <laughs> yeah, way. yeah. 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 Like one knee on the ground and he just has his gun ready. And then we get like really loud teenage bop music, yeah, like- <laughs> I guess, as we see a bunch of teens having fun in a montage of quick clips and they drive by and then it's gone. And then uh, we're just right back to, all yeah, right, we got to get back to the yeah. mission. Yeah. That Except, car just turns out that car was just a normal car. Yeah. that just drove by. And, and like, interesting, oh, like I look like an idiot laying on the street with my gun out. I'm yeah. Just, <laughs> just get back in the car. Now. Which I'm sure like it, it might be, it might just be that I haven't seen enough B movie Yakuza films. Um, maybe there is always Uh-oh. a tailing car that John like, is going to take this as down. a challenge. I think, <laughs> I think, I think yeah. If you, if you want to take uh, Kenji Fukasawa's or <laughs> yeah. Suzuki's like back catalog, every movie they made before is like a laundry list of those. Yeah. And I wonder, I have to wonder if somebody in the audience, because I think that, okay. Also, this is like a historical note. There was a protest and a lawsuit related to this movie. Was there not? Yeah. Um, and that that's was, interesting. So yeah. yeah, as we talked about it getting made, he then promptly got fired Yeah, because it bombed mm-hmm. like majorly bombed. And they said that even the opening night, there was like no one in the audience for it. Um, and so he got, it's, they just stopped paying him. I guess is what yeah. I was reading. It wasn't like he got fired. They kind of just told him they weren't going to pay him we, anymore. We fixed the glitch. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, uh, he sued and over a course of, I don't know, it was like four years or something like that through the court proceedings. It turned out that like they were going under and kind of used this as an excuse to stop paying somebody. Ah. And they had run his name through the mud saying like it was awful and all his movies were incomprehensible garbage. And that's why they needed to get rid of him. And he was essentially blackballed yeah. for like 10 years uh, from making films at all. But he ended up winning less than he had asked for, but mainly he wanted an apology and they apologized 
they've been holding back his catalog. Yeah. And so people wanted to see the movies now that there were these incomprehensible garbage that was leading to this lawsuit. So when they got released, they had huge following and toured around Japan oh, showing off that's his awesome. movies. And that's when he kind of got back into uh, the public eye. Yeah. And so like, again, I haven't seen any of those movies. I just wonder if somebody who did go and see that was a huge fan of it. Then when they got to branded a kill and they're watching this like chase scene, I'm doing air quotes. I hope you can hear it. <laughs> um, that they're like, Oh man, here goes the shootout. And then immediately it's just like, Oh, they were just teenagers. And that person is like, you know, has been Ryan Johnson. They're just like completely subverted yeah. <laughs> from yeah. expectation. And they, they're just like, oh, man, okay, well, we'll see what this happens. Like how could this build more? Um, but yeah, immediately after that scene, when they resume their chase, uh, B- uh, before we get too much into yep. that, I think it's worth just touching on the, the opening sequence. I think it actually does a really great job of setting the stage really well. Like you immediately know, who all these characters are and the weird shit about them. And it just, it plunges you directly into the action with very little setup, but the setup that they provide is just the perfect amount where you don't get too much information, but you know exactly what you need to know. You know, you know that like him and uh, Hanada and his wife has a weird relationship and she seems to be into the head of the Yakuza or whatever. And yeah. you know that Hanada has a weird it's, rice fetish, which is yeah, very he, strange. He, he just like loves sniffing rice and, you know, it just establishes all these little things that all come to fruition later in the film and, and play out. And it just sticks you right in, right into the action, into the chase scene from there. And it's like, you know, maybe three minutes into the movie and you're already like on a, a mission ready to go. Yeah. Cause we meet them in a car and then we go to a bar mm-hmm. and we're hanging out with them there. And that's when he's like, I want rice to the bartender. And the bartender's like, what? Uh, okay. And he goes back <laughs> in the kitchen. Like he yeah. goes all the way back in the kitchen so he can smell it right as it comes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was another thing about rice in this that I heard, uh, Joe Shishida said, um, he asked like, why the rice? Why, why would I have like a fetish for rice? And I think Suzuki said something to the degree of, well, when you think about it, or this might've just been Joe Shishida also like making it up. I can't remember at this point, but he was like, yeah, um, when you think about it, that's what Japanese people do, right? You have rice at dinner and then you fuck like at night you get hard from rice. Sure. Why not? Um, and he, and Joe Shishida was like, that's brilliant. Like, yeah, of course <laughs> I smell rice. Why wouldn't it make me like feel that way? Yeah. Um, he was like, it's a relatable cultural thing. I was like, oh. Yeah, we, I didn't think about that. We see okay. it where pretty much every time he he has to sniff rice, I guess, to get himself ready, yeah, more yeah, or less. Yeah. Like his yeah. aphrodisiac. Yeah, it's yeah. like his. Uh, it's there's a scene scene later with him and his wife just kind of like fucking, and then in between the fucks, he has to sit and and, and smell rice, and yep. it it seems like that is like what gets him off is smelling rice and his wife is just horny all the time and she just wants to fuck and like she's like well you stop doing that and get back in here and he's yeah. just like sitting there with his face in a bowl of he's rice. like i'm working on something here. <laughs> 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 um yeah so his buddy we're back to the after the chase scene um his buddy is like, I'm going to take a drink. I need to drink right now because yeah, I guess I'm he sh- got I'm nervous. kicked out because he he's been drinking and yeah, he has a lot of vices and yeah. he's also just like been bad, I guess, at his job of killing people or executing on whatever the organization wants. Um, and he still yeah, he has like not learned the gun at one point and is like shaky. Yeah. 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 He still hasn't learned his lesson. Um, so his buddy's like, oh, okay. That's when the concept of pros come in. There's like this whole, like, I thought you were a pro. Um, and they're establishing what the pros would really do. Cause from then on, we hear it a few more times where he's like, Oh, a real pro would probably do this. 
Um, this we also like, find out that Hanada is the number three ranked assassin, yep. and they know who two and four is. Kasuga is not ranked because he is like shamed out of the organization. Yeah. And then number one is some like myth that they're like not even Nobody sure knows. this guy exists. Which is it's weird because like the line is translated as you know like oh he's just a rumor, and I was like no because number one can't just be a rumor. That would mean that there might not even be a number one, which would mean number two. Is potentially right. This. Like, how, do you, how does this? Maybe how do you the organization him? could like use yeah. that to keep people like motivated. Oh, yeah, oh yeah. you're not number. You're not as good as number one. You got to keep getting better. It's the ideal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I like yeah, it. Doesn't make any sense. Like, how do you contract him? How do you get in contact with nobody knows who he is? Yeah. yeah. So, so the rest of this chase ensues, and basically Hanada takes over the wheel of the car, and he's like, "I'll just drive." He like chucks the dude's liquor out of the window at one point, and it's like, "Stop drinking! You're supposed to be a pro. You want to be back in this business. You should be this and that." And so we're we're back on on track. We're focused to get the uh, the client to their objective, um, and that's when we hit an ambush and we get the shootout, like the first kind of big actiony sequence, right? They like pull up to that yeah. section, and he's like driving in and they realize that a car is backed into, I guess like a tunnel or something. Yeah. And they're like, Oh no. And the car crashes and immediately, um, people just come out of the bushes and start like shooting and, and uh, Hanada is taking him down and Kasuga is losing his mind. Kasuga's doing like one of those dances <laughs> that like a villain makes somebody do with like a revolver. They're like dance, like shoot at their feet <laughs> like and the they do West a little movie. jig. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's doing one of those while somebody unloads like an automatic rifle on him and he still doesn't die. Um, he, cause he has to live in order to kill the dude that puts the yeah, shirt above yeah. his face, obviously. Um, yeah, he'll like run out and then get shot at and run back. Like this is the part where I was thinking that it was set like satirical. Cause then Hanada, like he has like a modified pistol. Like I think it has like a stock or something, but yeah. it's not really, you know, and, and he manages to like in one shot shoot a guy that's like on the top of the building. Yes. And, and you like, watch the body. And he watch that guy like fly all the way off the building. Right. So crazy <laughs> stuff like that in the shootout. Yeah, it's just absurd, and they're trying to get the client to their point, and all these other assassins are coming down, and then Kasuga dies, and we get past that point to where they're getting to like a, it's like a beach. Well, yeah, no, like before that, side? so Hanada is over there with Kasuga and the yeah. fourth guy after he dies, and you hear gunshots. Oh, yeah. And when he runs back to the car, three assassins were there, have each been shot square in the forehead. Yeah, point blank. Point, yeah, yeah and, like a, well, yeah, yeah, bullseye. just like right between the eyes, yeah, yeah bullseye, right the and the client's there, and it's just like chill. Yeah. Yeah. The client's like, oh, whatever. I don't know yeah. what happened. Uh, and at that yeah. point, they that was insinuating I, that he was the yeah. one who killed them. And they're like, oh shit, this guy. He's that was when I started to guy? suspect yeah. this is number one. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. I think this is number one, everybody. He's too cool under pressure. <laughs> um, yeah. It would have been great. This is my one nit thinking about that. It was like, it would have been great if that dude had been a little more nervous or goofy. And then later had been like, it was me. And uh, I was like, whatever. When we find yeah, out some sort of one. subversion. Yeah, but uh, I'm fine with it the way it is. It's fine. It was cool. Um, so then they go to like a castle where they burn some people. Yeah, right, there's like another ambush. <laughs> it's some sort of like. Just cool set pieces, really. Yeah, it's just yes. like, get to this location. Let's have an action shootout and let's put somebody on fire. Put that gel on them and and just throw like flames into this little hideout bunker. Um, and I. Yeah, this part's a little bit more blurry for me because I still can't remember entirely what all happens here. I just know mission accomplished, everybody. It's a cool action scene. It's a cool shootout. action scene. Yeah, yeah that's really all get that the, there is. It's supposedly it's the number two assassin that's like in the building and he burns out. So now we've seen that's number right. four and number two die. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's so right. So I guess he's Hanada's moving on up. So yeah, now we know he's technically... I guess number two, if he's yeah, yeah. He has to get up there. We and also I, know that the organization has hired Hanada to do this mission and meanwhile 
other assassins that work for the organization are against him. So you're like, what is going on here? There's some, is there some sort of civil war in the assassin organization or like, are these just, maybe they're just like contractors and they don't necessarily always work for these people. So maybe they just find themselves on the other sides of jobs. Yeah. We don't know why the client is going from, Wherever to Nagano, like yeah. yeah, no, none of that ever gets explained. <laughs> I, mean, I don't it, think it that seems like maybe somebody yeah. is setting them up to try to like kill yeah. each other, but like they don't really ever get into that or try to explain it. I don't so. think that they really have to, given what this no. movie is in terms of its, it doesn't its presentation and its style. Yeah, yeah, none of it really matters. You're just watching and you're like, that's fucking cool. Yeah, like, let's do it. There let's we keep go. going. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so we, we get that whole like mission accomplished, um, and Hanada's on you know Easy Street. Now it's onto the sex stuff. Well, first where... he is he's <laughs> driving back his car, the car that he's been using breaks down, and mm-hmm. that's when he bumps in. I guess Misako drives by, and he gets uh, a ride with her. It's like pouring down rain. That's right. She's driving in a convertible with the top down. <laughs> yes, she has a dead bird hanging <laughs> from said, her rearview mirror. Yes, <laughs> and I think the first thing she says to him is. I wish I could die or something like that. I thought she says like, I hate all men or is that after? Yeah. And then I think she says, I hate all men. More or less they have a conversation, which is pretty much her being like, I'm into nobody and I want to die. Yeah. I have like a death wish and I love dead things, uh, which we find out later when we see her apartment. I assume it's her apartment or wherever she lives. That's just covered in dead butterflies. Yeah. Mm. Um, All over the walls hanging from the ceiling. uh, Yeah. And that's a note too, is like that set design is amazing considering that those butterflies will fall apart really easily. And we see it happen in the movie when anybody hits one of them, it just like crumbles. Mm -hmm. Um, That must've taken so much time to do (laughs) for something that you're shooting the week of. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so then, yeah, he, he gets the ride with Sako, and then he returns home to his wife, who we now know has been cheating on him with the Yakuza boss, goes yes. back home. And then they proceed to have sex everywhere in the house but the bed. Yep. Uh, he mm-hmm. sniffs rice. A it's lot. clearly rough, weird sex. Like, Yeah, he calls her a slut and slaps her, so he and then she her says, like, take and, me, and he's yeah. like, okay. And and then, yeah, they, they just have very stylistically tastefully done tasteless sex <laughs> and and Hanada the whole time looks like a child because of his fat fucking face like just like what you, this looks like a pudgy 12 year old and they're also like, not like they're not allowed to move I think due to like censorship things they weren't supposed to be moving in a lot of scenes but they still are there's still like writhing going on and oh like, yeah, you, like they could just like lay next to each other but they, they weren't supposed to like they were thrust. supposed to be like oh like lay under sheets and people will know what's happening or like lay on this why don't you fuck on the stairwell over here yeah <laughs> Do we just see your feet or whatever? Yeah. yeah. Um, it, yeah. They, yeah, he played with the sensor board for sure. So yeah. like he did just what he had to do at a minimum to cover things and yeah. very carefully of what they're doing, but it's, it feels very explicit anyway. Yes. Uh, this, he got essentially the, the company would just be like, here's your actors. Like he didn't even pick. It was like the old His Hollywood actors, days yeah. where they're like, we have these these people under contract. Yeah, the yes. actors are run by the studio. Right. They, yeah. But he yeah. couldn't get any of the girls, that women that were at the studio to do nude. <laughs> so this is some other girl that he picked up and it's the only movie that she did. Oh, interesting. Wow. And so that, yeah, that she went all out. Like, yeah, like, she goes all oh, yeah. out. I was yeah. like, man, I really admire her spirit and, and following through on all of this. She's like <laughs> screaming and, and, you know, like, all of her dialogue is like a lot of it is like shouted and um, yeah. yeah, she, she like really goes for it. Yeah. She's like, I don't know. A lot of her dialogue too is like right out of a smut novel. She's like, we're beasts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's what we yeah. have to be yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as they're like, 
I guess, sort of semi 69ing in a bathtub and yeah. <laughs> yeah, behind like rain or something. I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, we get like all of this really cool shadow play and this, these, these like really stylistically lined up shots that are all meant to like just tease the sensor board. Yeah. There's all these times that they like have sex and are looking at the bed. Yeah. It's like perfect. They keep cutting back to this like pristine <laughs> yeah. bed and they're like in the window of their own, like looking into their own apartment, looking at the bed. Like it's kind of, it's like really pointing out that they're doing everything but what I think they're supposed to be doing. Right. Yeah, it's so funny. Um, yeah. And so I, I think around that, like we basically, we spent a lot of time here and then, <laughs> yeah. And then we kind of move on, now, which I'm sure Darla didn't act. appreciate. Yeah. That. No, we were, we were both like, this is just weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it's like it's really stylistically done. Like it's, I I thought it was entertaining to watch. Yeah. You know, no, it's, I it's there, visually. I was there for it. This whole movie is just visually engaging uh-huh, yeah. on, on several fronts, and um, that's when we get to the the three hits and a miss. Yeah, uh, where um, we we get three jobs that uh, Goro's supposed to take, Hanada's supposed to take, and that's what the first one is: killing a customs officer. Right, I think. First of all, they're all. Three people tied up in a conspiracy of trying to like smuggle or embezzle. We don't from find the that out until later, though. But yeah, yeah. Te- technically they they're like skimming from the Yakuza. That the organization is trying to to uh, smuggle into the country. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like a customs officer, an optometrist, a dentist. Uh, it was a dentist. No, it was an optometrist. Yeah, because yeah. he's looking at eyes. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I was yeah. like, I, I thought, I thought fake it was, eye. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, that was oh, awesome. Oh man, I forgot about that. Takes the eye out, and then the guy's like, "Ah, you're always taking it out," and he's like, "Shut up!" And he like smashes the eye back into the dude's head. I was like, "Ow, no!" Yeah, way too up close. Fake eye, it gets yanked out. Yeah, uh, and then the last guy's like a banker, yeah. Something, and so the the customs agent is like waiting at a train stop. They're like, "You're gonna go to this train stop. You're gonna climb up this tower. You're gonna put a gun out of a billboard that has an automated lighter that opens and closes for like cigarettes." <laughs> yes. And so the gun like pokes out, and then he has to Hanada has to pull it back in when the lighter's gonna close, and he has to put it back out and Take he the shoots. Shot. Yeah, yeah, he takes the shot and like that between was, two train cars. Yeah, somehow. yeah, it's, it's like it's, the hardest shot you could imagine. Yeah, which it's really funny because we see this shot, and then we see the optometrist where the optometrist is going to get that I shot. Guess the Holy diamond. shit! Yeah, yeah, that was death promise level stuff. <laughs> right yeah. there. Uh, Hanada is now an expert in plumbing and also knows a lot of geometry with inside pipes. Like he knows how <laughs> to. He, gets a straight he shot, knows so when yeah. the optometrist happens to, to be at his, his yeah. sink. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't even have a mirror or anything. <laughs> no. So he like, he undoes a pipe under the optometrist sink, like way under it looks like somewhere. Yeah. Like in the basement or something. Yeah. And he, and he just puts his gun in the pipe. While fires, water is pouring out. Yeah. Of while water's pouring out of it, fires up and it just blasts the head of the, the optometrist who <laughs> happened to be leaning over and admiring the diamond he smuggled out of a dude's eye, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And so that that's like the second death. And Which then he doesn't even go to check on the body. He just he knows, knows, yeah, right, he knows he's we're done. It. We're he moving on. To. I <laughs> guess Jim Jaramusch did a similar thing in ghost dog. Like he oh. did the similar shot, like up through the pipe or whatever, as a oh, reference. To I haven't this. seen ghost dog. Yeah, man. Uh, and then, so the third one is it's actually a jeweler. It's not a banker. It's oh, a jeweler. Yeah, jeweler. Yep. And it's like this, there's just like a group of dudes hanging out, jeweling around. Yeah. Uh, Apparently at this point, the guy calls him too. And is like, you're taking way too long. 
So yeah. he just like busts in the office and yeah, shoots everybody. He literally shoots everybody. Mm. And my favorite part of this scene is he kills the jeweler and the jeweler spins in his chair like perpetually for an extended shot. That's a different guy. That's not <laughs> oh, the jeweler. Oh, is that's that one of his guy? like customers oh, or henchmen okay. or something. Well, yeah, yeah, because yeah. the jeweler is still like upstairs. That's right. Oh, that's right. And instead of just shooting him, because like he's a jeweler, like what yeah, he can yeah. do, he like jumps out of the building and lands on a hot air balloon yeah. that is rising up past the office. <laughs> and you yeah. see him like in the the back is the jeweler's like freaking out that all his friends are dead yeah and they just imply that he shoots the jeweler they don't yeah. even really show it, it. they just show him kind of pointing his such gun. like a vaudevillian thing too because the jeweler's <laughs> like oh we yeah, the way, whole yeah, yeah. Balloon. And it's one of those things where like i was like is he trying to hide really or is he trying to get the perfect shot and now i know it's definitely like i wanted to get i planned this all along kind of thing they also so, don't show how he got off, off of the balloon, the balloon. like yep. they show the balloon continue to rise yeah. way the fuck up in the air it's like is he just stuck up there gripping <laughs> on for dear life on this on this entire balloon ride. I don't know how long yeah. it took to come down, where he found himself when it came down. I don't was, know, maybe he yeah. was able to jump out to another balcony before it got, yeah, got too high. He was the original balloon boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, now we move on to the the miss, which is uh, Misako approaches him and says like, I've got Again, a job for you. Rain. Yeah, in the like pouring rain. Always She's rain. always associated with rain. I don't know yeah. what it is. But yeah. the, the rain in this movie is always like just laughably hard. Like it's, yep. it's well, amazing. How much water is pouring out of the sky? It's like I've never seen rain anywhere close to what is in this movie. But it looks really cool because, like, it's just so heavy and stylized, and it just adds a level of drama to those scenes because it just like makes you kind of uncomfortable and kind of on the edge. Like, this is weird. What's what's going on here? And it just kind of raises the stakes a little bit in those scenes. And the actress that plays Masako just has this weird, like, her hair is jet black straight hair and she has this like deadpan look when she looks at him like mm-hmm. almost non-blinking like she feels nothing yeah like no feeling no emotion yeah really which kind of explains the whole like death wish aspect of her her like character just being like yeah just like dead things i just want to be dead and I'm like okay um but i thought you were <laughs> referencing charles bronson for a second i was very confused but you yeah, just sorry. meant that she wants she, to die she also she really has... loves charles bronson <laughs> yeah. she has a death promise to herself yeah <laughs> Um, so Misako approaches, uh, Hanada and is like, wait, I have a job for you. You get three seconds to take the shot. And he's like, oh my God, like only a Kami could do that. Like that's a God, that's a God level thing. We're talking (laughs) about a man who has now killed three people (laughs) with really impressive skill, like between trains through like an automated lighter and a billboard through a pipe and like right in the bullseye zone of a dude's head and then like floating up on a balloon and shooting a dude and potentially probably Mary Poppins like his way (laughs) down from that balloon later. Oh, Uh, I would love to see that scene. He just has an umbrella and just jumps off the balloon. (laughs) Yeah. I bet he cuts gently down. He cut the little tag at the end of that balloon and just like wrote it down like a hang glider. (laughs) (laughs) And, and yeah, and he's like, this is going to be like really hard. A pro would want safer like conditions, which I'm like, dude, you already had like not safe conditions several times. So, okay. Also, he just accepts the conditions that she creates for him. She's like, I rented this room. You have to shoot him from here. You have this amount of time. I'll get out of the way. Like he never thinks, oh, maybe I'll, you know what? I'm just going to go somewhere else. I'm going to get a different room in a different building to get a better shot. He just, just blindly does what she says. And I, I don't know what, like he, he came up with all these 
crafty ways to kill these other people, but he just loses all creativity in this instance. Yeah, it's like the only moment. I guess I'll do whatever you say. Well, I like how he kind of has a doubt about taking it, and then she says, well, I already told you about it. You now have to do it, or we'll have to kill you. Oh, yeah, no backsies. (laughs) Yeah, no taking back. Once you hear of a job, you have to take it. (laughs) Yeah, again, more world building for (laughs) for you. Um, Yeah, so he tries to take the shot uh, on this mystery person and he misses yeah, and kills like somebody else in a basement like take yeah. it, the shot is set up really ridiculous yeah like a high basement window that's real skinny that he has to shoot out of and like right as he's about to fire you're seeing the view through the scope and then a butterfly lands right in front of it and apparently that is enough weight to make him shoot an entirely different person yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah he misses I, and hits a bystander yeah and i i was like oh if, if it the butterfly is like blinding you you can't see like that could be a reasonable explanation but no that's not the excuse he gives it's yeah. it's it moved the barrel so therefore i, yeah. I, I think shot if you're else. like a sniper right i'm mm-hmm. trying to think of like you know, and and you're firing over such a ridiculous distance that you're yep. taking in like wind and yeah, all yeah. those kind of things. Maybe I guess we don't know how far he is, but maybe it is that kind of condition of like it has to be a perfect. It doesn't look like he's more than. It didn't look like it was too far. Fifty feet. You know. Yeah, because she runs to him pretty quickly right yeah. afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and like at that point, he had lined up the shot and was like ready to go. It, it seems like the butterfly would would have landed like right as he was pulling it's what the it trigger, like, yeah. or maybe it's a. Uh, you know, a fraction of a second before, but not enough. Like, I think he just didn't see the old woman coming by. Maybe. Um, yeah, maybe. You know, the the defensive back that came out of nowhere and got in the way. Of the <laughs> yeah. <receiver. laughs> it's neither here nor there. He fudges the job. <laughs> and then and then he is effectively branded to kill. Uh, so now uh, Misako gives him a whole thing of like, yeah, you fucked up. So um, now we're just going to have to kill you. That uh, scene is really cool too because yeah. it's shot in just the wildest way. Where yeah, yeah. there's this massive building with these stairs that up, they look like they're running it's like up the to like of a Capitol building or something. Or so. yeah, yeah, like the Rocky Steps, and they've got Misako standing up on these steps, way in the background, and like looking off to the right, and then uh, Hanada, face yeah. Hanada, uh in the foreground, like behind a wall of the stairs looking off to the left there's no way in that they would actually be able to hear what the other person is saying and they're having yeah. a very quiet private conversation about him about to be murdered and it's just out in a public place with yeah. like 100 <laughs> feet between them and it's like, yeah. but it, it looks really cool the way they set it up yeah and, and that continues to be a thing like he has conversations on phones that are not pre- pressed to his ear uh-huh. yeah. uh, where he can hear people when he's talking to them and other people are reacting to what the people are saying and it's just this kind of like way more engaging way to do these dialogues which i think in like more traditional cranked out b-movie yakuza films are going to be like one two cuts probably or um just a oneer and have them like exchange it and so uh yeah suzuki does like a really interesting job of introducing <laughs> a lot of this dialogue with like really unconventional uh, uh system for it and yeah. um one of the things that Suzuki also said in one of his interviews was he was like, you know, a lot of people kind of are wondering what the meaning behind the butterflies are and what uh, the meaning behind a lot of the things in this movie are. And honestly, I don't know what the meaning behind the butterflies are because somebody else wrote that into it. And that person was really obsessed with butterflies. <laughs> You'd have to ask them. <laughs> and the other thing was like the, I think like one of the production assistants was like, yeah, Suzuki has always had a, um, 
first and foremost wanted to make movies that are entertaining and engaging. He doesn't care as much about if they have a particular a messaging or, or a meaning yeah. or a plot to yeah, it. Makes and sense. I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's just one of those things where I'm like, I'm, I, I enjoy this stylistic approach. I'm not going to question why you can talk to a phone and it can talk back and you hear it perfectly clear in the same room or any of that. Yeah. Like it, that that's a good, engaging. a good way to frame this movies. Like just, strap in get go along for the ride you're gonna have a good time with it it looks really cool the score is great but like don't nitpick about random little things because there's no point you're gonna, you know? yeah like, you're gonna overwhelm yourself yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah now that he's branded to kill he's called and told like you're gonna go to these docks or this like lighthouse what? or something First, his wife tries to kill him his wife tries to kill him and, he, and he's like and he gets he... shot in the by in her the belt buckle? but it's in the belt buckle yeah, and he survives right. <laughs> yeah and then some, she burns yeah, the house down somehow because he runs into Misako and she's like, the blood is sticky. And I'm like, wait a minute, but he was shot in the belt the, buckle. Yeah. I don't know where the blood Wait, came from. Yeah, but, cut it. Okay. We did jump out the window or something too, right? To get out of the house. Oh, As that burning, whole house maybe, stylistically yeah. burned. Down, it was yeah. really yeah. rad how yeah. the flames kind of grow. Um, but yeah. I, and then, yeah, then he, he like hangs out at Misako's and, and like tries to. Yeah, that's when we find out she has like dead butterflies everywhere. Yeah. They're like going back and forth between like whether they're going to fuck or kill each other. And, yeah. Yeah. He stuffs a gun full of mud or something. And yeah. She tries yeah. to fire and he pull, he was like, don't, it's Elmer Fudded. And like, <laughs> 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 like a whole moment of that. Um, but yeah. And, and then, then he like promises to kill her. Yeah. And then I guess then she's okay with his advances. But then he afterwards is like, nah, I love her too much. I can't do it. And then he wanders off into the streets and has a vertigo style, like crazy, I don't know what it is, like animation, fever dream. Fever kind of dream. Oh, yeah, where we see like birds <laughs> overlaid and then there's butterflies and we hear Rain, all of the sounds. And, and like, this is again, like when the, like the auditory elements are really in effect, you can tell that there's meticulous kind of placement of these things because it's like, yeah, he's experiencing all of it and you're seeing all of these graphics flash on screen and you're hearing this overwhelming uh, different tracks of audio layered on top of each other or sequentially just played after. Um, and then he wakes up from his dream. Yeah, he just wakes up. He's like, oh, okay. He goes to find the, the Yakuza boss because he's like pissed that this happened and his wife is there. Yeah. Uh, and like goes back and forth between, like Wanting she essentially, have sex with yeah, him? she explains like the whole plot of like, oh, this is what happened and why we had you go kill him. And this guy that you were supposed to kill was an inspector that was going to unravel the whole thing. Yeah, it was like the three people were embezzling and the inspector was trying to figure out the embezzlement. And Yeah, he and was like from the company that the diamonds went to, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so there was a whole thing of like, yeah, we kind of messed up by killing these three people instead of being able to throw them under the bus to the inspector. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so yeah. you need to kill that guy, but and you then it, it. Yeah, his wife tries to come on to him and like apologize for it, but then also calls him an idiot and like just goes back and forth and he just sits there and takes it and yep. then kills her. Yeah, and then the the uh, yakuza boss like shows up and is killed. Like, He's bullet to the head, bullet to the head right again, between the yeah. eyes. Ooh, it, I remember that from the beginning. Maybe it's the dude that was super chill. Maybe <laughs> dun, dun, he's dun, dun. number one. Yeah, who could it be? And that's when he gets, I think, like a call from. I will say, hey, it's right? setting stuff up. Yeah, yeah. In a way, the death promise did not do. Absolutely. Yeah, I, w- I don't put this on par with death like, promise. I don't it's not really fair to compare yeah. this movie to death promise. Like, yeah. I mean, um, sure, people have an understated reaction to death in this movie. Sure. Like that. <laughs> but <laughs> it's not the same. Um, yeah, so then he gets a call, and that's where this formality comes out, where they're like, you're going to be at the docks at like 3 p.m. on a Sunday or something. I don't know. And and we're going to just kill you then. Yeah, we have, they <laughs> yeah. have Misako. And for some reason, whatever, right? he does. Like, He's, why does he go Misako there? Misako got 
kidnapped and like tortured. Oh yeah, tortured. that's right. Yeah. She's kidnapped and tortured. That's when he's yelling at her being tortured on a projector. Oh, like he throws so... up a projector and he's like, Misako, where are you? Tell me where you are. And, and she's, she's just like, I burned. love you. And he's like, that's not what I asked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it's pretty great. I think. Um, Is that what? Yeah. I like that they kidnap her and then record it. Yeah. And then come back and set up a projector with the recording and yes. leave it on. <laughs> and it's, and it's he's just brutal. like at a bar for a couple hours while this is happening. Yeah, well, that was right? happening. Like, right? That's yeah. a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess he he shows up to save Misako, or I just to just be like, to I'm going to fulfill yeah. this request. Maybe they'll give back Misako if she's not dead. I don't know. Um, but he he gears up, sort of. Not really. He grabs like a machine gun or a rifle or something. And then it's like, all right, I'm going to show up in like a Volkswagen bug and yeah. just, and it has like superhuman strength somehow. Yes. Like he's laying under the car and I don't know what, how he was able to rig this oh, yeah, because he makes like all of the assassins are like up in that well, he got place, there but he early. puts a rope around the car, <laughs> yeah, he like ties it or like puts it around a post or something and brings it all the way back to where he is. And he's underneath the car yeah. pulling it forward so he can get close to the, guys that are trying to kill him without them being able to get a hit on him. And I'm like that. Yeah. No, he nope. also, it was ridiculous. It was <laughs> not, it was awesome and ridiculous at the Doesn't same he also time. He's like a gun to shoot a rope out of the way, or he's like <laughs> trying to get something closer. So he kicks it or shoots it or does some action that like yeah. brings it closer where you're just like, that's not how that works at yeah. all either. <laughs> um, but yeah, he gets the, he gets his Volkswagen bug pulled all the way up after he's been shooting all of these people. It's a really cool action scene. Um, you have all these, <laughs> These assassins that are just like doing twirls, they're always twirling, twirling yeah. forward. <laughs> Tour freedom. <laughs> Tour freedom. Uh, as they're all dying, and some of them are like shooting each other accidentally. And then, like, a, another car shows up and runs. Or, no, he grabs the, the bug at one point because he gets frustrated trying to kill a dude and just drives Tries it up it. and hits the guy. Yeah. yeah. And I'm yeah. like, wait a minute, how did that happen? And then they show it back from the other side and there are just two planks yeah. going up the stairs. Like, I don't <laughs> yeah. think those were there a second ago. <laughs> yeah. He planned it all out. And so, yeah, we get, he's, he's successfully thwarted. I suppose his court hearing, I don't know if that's like a Yakuza trial or what it's supposed to be, but whatever. Um, well then, he, then he sees that car driving up oh, yeah. toward him on this, like, they're like it's in like the a, ocean and it's, it's a, like a long cement dock that they're on. It's kind a breakwater. Yeah. 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 And they're driving these, you know, new killers are on the scene driving up toward him and you think, oh shit, what's he, how's he going to handle this? And then all of a sudden you see him on the back of the car and he has like disrobed and swum all the way over to where they are, <laughs> snuck up behind them and jumped onto the back of the car and he just kills both guys. Yes. <laughs> It's amazing. Um, and yeah, he does his little dance. He's like, I'm done. I'm done with it. And, and then that's when he encounters number one and we enter into uh, yeah, the that, part that it's where it starts to spin out of control. Yeah. So like, then uh, this is where like the movie has been great this entire yep. time. And then yep. now it's just two guys left, number one and number three. And if you're watching this movie, you can just turn it off at this point. <laughs> like it's just the rest of it is so slow there's, and weird and dumb. That, like I've, there's some goofy, wacky stuff in it that I found <laughs> funny. Well, like the, yeah. uh, the weird bit where basically like, okay, this is so also, number like, one shows up and is yeah. the client and says to him there at the breakwater, like, uh, I'm gonna let you go this time because you helped me before yeah. on my trip. Yeah. But I'm, I'm totally going to kill you. Yeah. And so then he runs back to his apartment and like, locks himself up in his apartment waiting for number one and like blocks off all his windows and keeps trying to figure out where he's going to snipe from 
number one keeps calling him and taunting oh, him yeah. and being like, I <laughs> yeah. can see your ass. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, oh shit, where is he? And he's like looking around like he could be in that building or that building or that building. And he's like losing his mind full of paranoia that the number one assassin in the world is like out to kill him. And he's just yeah. fucking with him for a while. I would have loved if number one had been doing like a, a Rutger Hauer in uh, Blade Runner, but uh, it was more like Looney Tunes style. Like he's in the vent, you see his eyes and he's like, I can see you. And then he like pops <laughs> away or something. Yeah, it, it would have been like even more ludicrous. But uh, uh, yeah, eventually it leads to this point. Well, like, where there's all kinds of weird, like, uh, he's like hanging upside down. Oh yeah. So he can like get him to take a shot so he can try to get at him. Like just weird stuff that keeps happening. He, uh, at one point just gives up and leaves and drives somewhere else and then gets some rice while he's like looking at a lake and then gets a phone call from the number one. That's like. I know you left. That's okay. You got to get back. And he drives all the way back to the apartment yeah. and locks himself back up in the apartment yeah. again. Like why? Like, He's out. Like, so go, weird. leave. Yeah. Go try to track this guy down. Like he never... Like this whole time, he's just fucking paranoid and freaked out, and he never thinks like maybe I should just try to kill this guy. Yeah. Like the thought does not cross his mind until almost the very end of the movie, and there's just like twenty, thirty minutes of this song and dance that like what the fuck? Like there's one point where he's in his apartment and he's terrified of falling asleep because he thinks the guy will come kill him, and he's like on his knees and he has a rope wrapped around his yeah. neck, yeah, David so Kenyon. that like if he falls asleep and like nods off, the rope will catch him on the throat and he'll like choke and wake back up. Yeah, yeah, like, it's nuts. What are you doing? Like, it's just so wild. It, it's. I think it lends itself to that like absurdity of number one being so legendary that he is everywhere at all times and is effectively like playing with him, uh-huh. and, and that's the whole like thing of. I don't even know at this point if the movie really cares what's going to happen. It's just like playing with the mythology of this character and like, Hey, he can see you at all times. He's the Santa Claus of assassins. Like, <laughs> he's very well aware of what's going on. And to the point where like, um, it's kind of funny because you think about the whole first portion of the movie. Number three is educating everybody else on what pros do. Mm-hmm. And then number one has to come in and basically slam him back down into, we've seen him, do so many godlike things in his assassinations and telling everybody about how professional he is. And then we see him completely sweat and lose everything when number one comes into the picture. And I think that's the whole point of the last portion of it is to set him up for that. Like, no, there's a lot of like flaw in humanity and what he's trying to do. It's not really important to the story necessarily. It's just to level his character out and establish that like, okay, we established all these superpowers and now we need to take them away from him. And then we need to make him build back up to face number one. So you feel like he might have a shot of becoming him. Um, There's like, it's such a stark character change though. Like Hanada is so confident in his killing throughout the whole movie. Like he's always very composed. He knows what he's doing. Even after, you know, shit goes wrong and he kills the wrong person. That whole scene at the ocean, he kills like six or seven guys super easily. He's never worried that the other person is better than him. He just always assumes that he's in control. And then they just change his character on a dime. And there's really no, he never seems to be afraid of number one earlier. Like Kasuga does. He's like, Oh, the mysterious number one. We don't know who he is. And Hanada's like, I don't fucking care. care. Like, you know, but I I don't, yeah, that, that start character change is very weird. And I'm not really sure. Like they, they just didn't set it up very well. Yeah. I I guess that he saw him like, shoot right between the eyes like no like immediately and things like that he's that's just true he's seen he's him heard kill of, yeah. three or four people all with a bullet right in the fucking forehead and they did suppose we never saw it coming and they didn't either apparently or yeah <laughs> it was that kind of thing of like 
even when his boss is, uh, the Yakuza boss comes home, he has a bullet right between his eyes. When he opens the door, it's not even like, uh-huh. we don't even know, like, when, he don't even know yeah. when he got shot. And there's but no he bullet stepped that comes in front through of the door. Yeah, there's no bullet that comes through the door. He stepped in front of the door. Like, that's not, what, can he curve bullets? Is this like wanted or something? <laughs> <laughs> and so, that's actually kind of a fun movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so it's just like, oh my gosh. Um, yeah. So, like, this whole buildup, and then we see kind of like, that's when it turns into this weird, like the odd couple comedy yeah. where number one is like, I'm going to handcuff you. He shows me. up and is like, I'm tired of this. So yeah. we'll just hang out together. And that's, that's again, like, I feel like it's continually trying to push like how absurd of a badass somebody can be. Yeah. <laughs> it's just uh-huh. like, Oh, I'm tired of like toying with you from afar. I'm just going to come here and like handcuff myself to you. And then we're going to figure out what the fuck else. His gun is not even number one's gun. Isn't even loaded the whole time. Technically. Right? Yeah. We, we find out later. Find this has later. a note in it. Yeah. And the note, yeah. like, God, what does that note say? The it's, note's like, this is how number is one. Number one does it. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I'm going to be at this gym between one and 3 a.m. for three consecutive nights and you better show up or you're a little puss. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they handcuff together and like every time he reaches for his gun, number one, grabs his own gun and then yeah. they like have to figure out how to go to the bathroom together. Yeah. Like go eat together, eat together, yeah. sleep together. <laughs> They're always stuff. lock locking elbows everywhere they go. And I love when they, just... they're sleeping like in the bed and whatever. And he realizes number one has been asleep the whole time. And he's like, were you awake? I'd like asleep. And he's like, you don't know how to sleep with your eyes open. <laughs> you, yeah. need, you need real training. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, there it is again. <laughs> real pros sleep with their eyes open. Like, <laughs> There's also like they're debating about bathroom breaks and then number one just pisses his pants and, <laughs> yeah. you see him oh, yeah. his leg, and then he just picks up his shoe and just pours out. Yeah. Doesn't he like Hanada like laughs and he's like, don't laugh at me or something. I don't remember. He yeah. yeah he's like, this is what you have to do. Like, yeah. this is my dedication. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, again, and then they're just like, let's go get some food. And yeah. they just like yeah. walk <laughs> arm in arm to a local eatery and yeah. just have some rice. And <laughs> yeah. And then number one gets up and goes to the bathroom and never comes back. Like he just leaves. Uh, yeah. That's when he leaves that note in his gun or already left. Yeah. He comes back. He knew what he would do. He, he thought ahead several steps. That's how badass number one is. (laughs) Um, so yeah, now we get to the end of, of who is number one, which is part five is very short. The shortest bit. It's just the gym sequence really. Um, it's like a boxing arena. Yeah. It's like a stadium. It's like a gym and it has a boxing ring. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Something. Yeah. it looks like a lecture hall <laughs> where uh, when debates escalate, <laughs> they get into the ring to Maybe settle things. Abraham Lincoln debates. Yeah, yeah it's a Lincoln Douglas. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so he has, Hanada has this whole plan that he has where he takes like, is it a, a, like a princess crown or something? <laughs> Some kind he, of tiara? It's like a headband kind yeah. of thing or something. Yeah. And he's got like a tape recording and some other stuff that, or no, tape no, no, recording no. is up by number one. Yeah, so he shows up at the gym and waits, and the oh, number so one hard. doesn't show up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the first of all, before he goes, like, he gets the note, and he's like, well, why can't I be number one? I'm going to be number one. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, yeah. his attitude changes again, and he's now confident that he can go kill number one. And all of a sudden, he has this ambition to be number one, which he never cared about yeah. in the first place. Now that he's... Uh, now that he's thoroughly been scared and he's just tired and kind of pissed off. He's like, I'm going to be number one. I can do it. I can mm, totally yeah. do this. Fuck this guy. Yeah. He's going to go kill him. Good. <laughs> um, so yeah, we, we don't really get like a training montage or anything. He just kind of has a plan. And he shows up, he's in the ring. Yeah. He, he like, waits and then the guy doesn't show up like time 
is passed. He goes into the rain for some reason. I don't so even like know. Like dancing it, around or doing something. He's like yeah. taunting basically. And then the recording comes on the loudspeaker and it just repeats like, I'm number one. This is how I do it. I torture you forever and then I kill you. And it just says that on repeat, on repeat. Yeah. Like in a loop. And then he gets shot. And the number one shoots him, but it hits the headband. But he knew that he would go right between the eyes. So he put the headband there. That's the whole plan. Which apparently is bulletproof. This little headband. Yeah, the bell buckle. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, um, And basically just like they both keep shooting each other and cockily thinking that the other one is dead without checking it. And they basically just both. So finally they kill each each other. other. And then right as he's about to die. Is he dancing around like now I'm number number one? one. Yeah. Uh Somebody enters and it's Misako on like crutches. It's like the saddest Misako ever. Yeah. And she just comes through the door and then he just unloads on her and she just dies and falls and hits the steps. And then it, it was like, and then he like just falls out of the ring. Yeah. And dies and that's it. Yeah. And, uh, and you're left with like, okay, <laughs> I guess they had to wrap up what happened to Misako. Cause, because in an off remark, I think number one at one point is like, she's still alive, you know, or like somebody says that to him. Yeah. But we never it's see the her second again. movie. That yeah. yeah. <laughs> there is a sequel to this. Oh, oh. no. Yeah. Years, years later, I think in 81, he made a sequel. After he like could make movies yeah, again? Yeah, something, yeah. maybe not 81, but well, late, late, much later, he made a sequel. Rebranded uh, to kill? Yeah. <laughs> I think it, a couple people recast out of it or whatever. But yeah, apparently it has like also not that great. Oh, bummer. Yeah, I mean, was, like everyone dies. I don't know how you make a sequel to this movie. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I just saw that today and I didn't have a chance to <laughs> to get into it and figure out what that was. But I saw he made one that people were like, yeah, he shouldn't have made that. But yeah, what a wild ride in this movie. I think it's really, honestly, I think it's worth the 10 years that he got blackballed. <laughs> it was just like, oh man, yeah. If you could take what was going to be, whatever that script was before and this B movie, Yakuza premise, and turn it into this that's awesome. Sure. I'm absolutely down for this. I'd like to see more B movies turned into something. I want to see like a director that has his kind of style, take like an asylum film and just go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if asylum would know what to do with it. Um, yeah. It asylum, like you for those who take, don't know, you take a basic plot yeah. and then just do something else over the basic plot. Yeah. And I don't know if, for those out there listening, I don't know if you know what asylum is, but they make like transmorphers. That's like their movie kind of catalog, <laughs> like Titanic two. Uh, I'm giving you Atlantic rim. If you're a fan of Pacific rim, nah. don't watch Atlantic <laughs> rim. Um, yeah. Just those kinds of movies is what they would do, but it'd be amazing to see a director do something like this with that. <laughs> is transmorphers better than transformers? Cause that's not hard to be better than transformers. <laughs> I feel like they're both visual garbage in different ways. Uh, yeah, I don't right. know how I feel about either. And I, don't want to watch it yeah one of them spent a whole lot of budget on cgi and one of them spent almost no budget on cgi and (laughs) they actually just look about the same they make about as much sense (laughs) from a direction standpoint um but yeah that that being said um i don't know did you have any other notes uh my my only note is that suzuki went on and made other movies after 77 when he finally was off the blacklist and uh able to kind of continue on in 19 he made three movies a trilogy but it's 1983 film I mean, this is a german name so i can try to take a best shot at this zieger yep. Weissen. okay uh, he they won nine japanese academy awards for including best film and best director wow. and is considered like one of the best japanese films of the 80s so I'm like he went on and did something else that i'm like i guess i gotta go watch that now yeah because i'm like is it more of this or something else entirely because i don't know what i expected with this movie so now i don't know 
what do I expect from another movie from the same director? Yeah, I know during his 10-year period not making movies, he did go into commercial work so that he could still feel the film on his hands. I think that's how it was phrased in like a review. He was like, I wanted to continue to version of a rice fetish? Yeah, basically. Yeah, right. (laughs) Touching (laughs) films. He opens the canister. Snips the canister. Ah, uh, nitrate premium. Yeah, melting <laughs> nitrate. Ah, uh, thirty-five millimeters straight to the nose, <laughs> <Yeah>. baby. <laughs> oh man, but yeah. Um, okay, Dixon, did you have any other notes? Uh, no, I just I you don't want to do final thoughts? Or? Yeah, let's do. Uh, would you recommend Ryan? You're you're the picker. Um, yeah, like what do you think? Darla thought this was awful <laughs> uh, for sure. Like she had a lot of cause. She was like, she was very fascinated by all the dead birds and butterflies was that apartment must smell like yeah. she was like that must be <laughs> awful um but yeah she was like it's incomprehensible and weird but she was like it it kind of had a plot so she kind of ranked it above some of our films that kind of haven't had any plot <laughs> but she put this one pretty pretty down there what did wait what did she think it was better than like uh stranger, stranger than, than paradise. stranger than paradise <laughs> and vitalina varelli pretty much all of your picks uh, she sorry. didn't even she didn't even watch eight Vitalina and a half so good. Yeah. yeah she didn't even watch eight and a half like she wasn't even interested uh, in she it. would have had thoughts on that harem she, scene yeah, right, yeah. um which is you know the beach in eight and a half where he goes out to see the i don't know crazy the stripping lady the, on the oh, beach that, or whatever yeah yeah that's right it okay, must be the right. same beach that he kills number two because it's that same like weird building <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah those decaying ruins yeah decaying ruins on the beach um she definitely thought punisher was better than this oh and, no yeah and, and yes. at least the uh um half a sorcerer that she watched like those all had like plots as far as she was concerned yeah. this one was like i don't even know what um i would recommend it like this is definitely in my wheelhouse. Yeah. Like I'm glad that, it, that I watched it and that I found this cause it's exactly the kind of like weird foreign film, very stylized, very different from anything you can watch. Um, so I, I, I liked it and I probably will watch it again to try to get more out of it. Uh, but I can definitely, know a lot of people are going to be like, what the hell did I just watch after they watch it. Yeah. Um, but I think maybe that's supposed to be the feeling that you get. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, really enjoyed it i would definitely recommend it um like i said i think the the final you know 30 minutes just don't really work but the first hour of the movie is so good that like it's well worth uh, a shitty 30 minutes at the end um i've seen very few movies that have such an interesting stylistic vision behind them it, it's almost like it's pulling from film noir aspects but it's like ratcheting up the style even further than a film noir does, especially with the score and and the um, close up shots and stuff that just it really comes together really well in an interesting way. Um, I'm really yeah definitely really glad I watched it. Good uh, good pick, Ryan. I think we're we're kind of like joking about some of the weird shit in it, but it's definitely um, it's definitely a lot of fun and a, and a good watch. Yeah, uh, I'll pile on. I do think that this is a recommendable piece. I was when I was talking to you, Ryan and Darla, I was like, I think that there is a bit of preface that probably needs to be had when you're going into it, just to know what you're getting into. Otherwise you spend a portion of it trying to be like, wait, why is this the way it is? Or probably free associating about how bad rooms smell and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's just with that kind of caution that like, this is a stylistic feature. Don't yes. try to fight it for story because it's just going to frustrate you. If you're a person that really prioritizes plot in a movie, if you are, Scott Thompson, one of our friends who is just like only cares about plot, then like 
don't watch this movie, you won't like it. But if you appreciate stylistic aspects of film, then there's a lot there. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I would say uh, when you're watching it, just remember Joe Shishida's cheeks are that way. Uh, he's not hiding anything throughout the movie. He's never going to produce a gun from those or something. There's a lot of fucking tobacco in yeah. there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would definitely recommend. So uh, yeah, solid pick, Ryan. Nice. Awesome. Um, one more note that I just remembered. Uh, I believe almost every day on set, Suzuki had a bottle of Suntory whiskey with him to uh, help nice. inspire. I have a uh, bottle of, of Suntory whiskey at my condo. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I've, I should have told you to bring it. So we could yeah. have drank in his honor. Yeah. Uh, but what is, what is it? They What is it that they say in uh for a good time, make it a Suntory time. Or what has that? Something go? like that. Yeah. <laughs> We're not sponsored by Suntory whiskey. Everybody. <laughs> I don't think that'll ever happen. <laughs> um, but Suntory, if you're listening, Call us. Oh, we would uh, absolutely. We be will. Down. We will let the phone dangle, and we will talk to you in the same room. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> Satori whiskey fueling weird fucking movies around the world <laughs> since 1967. <laughs> uh, yeah, and with that, we will take a break. Do you love the taste of stale, rotting bread, but hate waiting weeks at a time for it to reach that perfect blue-green hue? food scientists at the Anheuser-Busch Corporation have developed a product that provides all the skunky tastes you love with none of the weight. Bud Light, America's favorite beer. Brewed with the rankest hops, barley, and rice we could get our greedy little hands on, Bud Light adds a wonderfully putrid flavor to any occasion, whether it be a lazy afternoon at the ballpark or a night on the town with the person you love. Available canned or bottled at every single store in the country and on draft at most bars for some reason. Bud Light makes sure that that stale bread flavor is always within reach. Bud Light, because it's there. Does he have a cameo? Can but I like, Rob Schneider what Rob Schneider cameo? <laughs> yeah. How much is it? The Underground Table is my favorite podcast. <laughs> no, 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 Rob Schneider. We didn't pay you to say that. <laughs> <laughs> all right and we're back with recommend or refute you all know the rules we go around the table uh we present something that we want to recommend or refute uh, a film that we want you to spend some quality time with or a film that we want you to avoid quality time with uh and ryan since you were the picker you are yeah. the person to kick us off what do you got cool i'll uh, i'll go for a recommend um a little bit older movie that i watched with my family to kind of see their reactions to is this two recommends in a row right yeah i got some yeah. recommends i'm it's finally I'm trying, to catch, I'm trying to catch back up or maybe is, it, is this three in a row no it's you recommended the suicide squad and then last week i'm blanking on what on oh, what yeah, you oh, yeah, talked the, about the bubblegum pop bubblegum yeah, yeah words bubble up like yeah i guess i'm yeah. three three hates and three loves i'll there have to go. start wow. on i'll have to go watch shang chi um no, wild <laughs> shit here guys <laughs> um no yeah so a little bit older movie i want to see what my family's reaction it's exactly the kind of movie that dixon that you would love uh who framed roger rabbit <laughs> I have seen this movie and I hate it. Uh, I did, I, yeah, we uh, realized this would be a good topic to talk about. I want to see, you know, your take on it for more. But I, to give my family's impression of it, kind of knowing it's probably a mixed uh, feeling for my family. My kids enjoyed it. Darla did not like it. Uh, I think she had seen it before but didn't remember. Uh, and it's been a little while since I watched it, but I've always liked it. And it's on Disney Plus now. So I was like, all right, well, I'll go. I'll watch it again. It's easy watch it with the kids. Um, I think, and John and I, we talked a little bit. I think that, that I, what I see in this is I'm so fascinated by the animation mm-hmm. and how like breakthrough at the time it was um, and how, how 
hard they work to make sure that every single scene with an animation, it's interacting with something in the real world. Like the weasels carry actual guns instead of cartoon guns. And mm-hmm. then the characters are the ones using the cart the humans are using the cartoon gun. Um, so it's, it's kind of, it's really cool of how they did that. I think that's interesting. It is tonally dissonant. <laughs> I think that's probably the, the bad part about the movie for sure. And why I think it maybe doesn't have like the greatest record. Uh, it, tries to be kitty cartoony at points, but also obviously has a plot that's more straight film noir and is pointing at that. And can I, I think actually only really be appreciated by people that are even into film noir. Um, and then, yeah, it kind of has like drinking, smoking, really sexualization, cynical yeah, like cynical cartoony. characters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A, a yeah. very cynical plot. Like, yeah, that, yeah. that is not for kids. Um, in fact, I I want I feel like Disney's trying more and more to shy away from this one. It's like we have a, a baby, but he turns out to be a grown adult yeah. that smokes cigars. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roger drinks liquor at one point and like explodes, yep. which apparently a couple of liquor brands wanted to be that liquor on camera. Wow. And, and <laughs> Disney was like, no, we're not going to do that. But I found it really funny that Bob Hoskins totally drinking wild turkey in one of the shots and you can see it on the label. So I was like, I don't know if that one slipped in there or that was actual product placement, but we now know there that was just, he just like had that under the counter. and was just taking yeah. sips while they were shooting. We it's now, we now know like, that Bob Hoskin and the Punisher. Yeah. yeah confirmed. Yeah. Same universe. Same universe. Yeah. They both drink wild Turkey. He's like, how the fuck am I supposed to act opposite? Nothing. Yeah. I just need yeah. to, I got to get real fucking drunk yeah. to imagine this rabbit. I think he, he <laughs> he's carried. like, how can I get through this and Mario? It's a lot of wild Turkey. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. He carried that right off set and right onto the other. Yeah, right to Mario. And then Hook, and then it just, you know, poor Bob Hoskins. Yeah. (laughs) It's all downhill after Brazil. Yeah, yeah, but I like, I would like to hear you kind of each of your guys' thoughts on it real quick, just because I know you don't like, I'd like to hear what that is. Yeah. Uh, I definitely appreciate the technical aspects of it. Clearly, like, there's a lot of innovation in in animation that went into this and having the cartoons interact with real things. um, I know it was really difficult to pull off. And there are movies that tried to do it afterward that have, failed miserably so yeah. it, it definitely was um a technical achievement i had two m- huge problems with it one i hated roger rabbit like he's just so <laughs> abrasive and annoying i couldn't stand him and the whole time i was like i guess they just made up this character because like they couldn't get the rights to bugs bunny but no they did bugs bunny is in it but for some reason they have this roger rabbit character that like I just, every time he's on screen, I just wanted to like just stab my eardrums <laughs> with a screwdriver. I just like couldn't handle it. And then, um, I don't know. I, I haven't seen it, heard, heard other people comment on this. And when John and I had spoken about this movie with a, another group and nobody really had this take on it. But it, to me, it seemed like a very ham fisted, uh, inconsiderate portrayal of like the black experience through cartoons like yeah they live in a ghetto there are restaurants that won't serve them they all are in service industry or entertainment positions and i was like this feels like just a really um inconsiderate way to try to have this conversation and and like this is our problem with cats don't dance yeah it's kind of the same problem (laughs) (laughs) but Um. Yeah, I the whole time I was like, oh, this is just not uh, this is not great. The way it, it's kind of portraying this thing is like cartoons are this, you know, subhuman group that deals with the second class citizen status. Um, but yeah, I didn't enjoy it. Um, 
So yeah, <laughs> I know a lot of people really like it and it's perfectly fine. It's just, it's just not for me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for me, I really enjoy this film. I enjoy a lot of Richard Williams's work. Uh, I think that like, it's, I'm noticing a trend with kind of like masterful artists who have spent a lot of their career making really challenging features like this. You know, it's uh, Richard Williams, you got like Ralph Bakshi and mm -hmm. um, like they make things that don't age well, uh, but they age well technically. Like they're, they're so yeah. masterfully done that they can captivate you in that regard. But yeah, there is the conflict of like, as I get older, I'm like, ah, uh, some of this stuff, not, um, <laughs> uh, I bet like at the time it might've been okay, but now it's definitely not like I watched Fritz the cat recently. Yeah. It's like, Ooh, some of the stuff in here. Okay. Um, I need to look up historical context to know how people felt about this. Cause it's, it's interesting from that regard, but, um, yeah, who framed Roger rabbit. I still, I can watch it anytime I enjoy uh, Christopher Lloyd's performance in it, um, yeah. is, is just fantastic. And kind of like Bob Hoskins being the straight man to, uh, Roger to nothing, Rabbit, <laughs> to nothing basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah. And, and there is that yeah annoyance of Roger. I think that when we had talked about it, it was like, that just seems like another creative choice to make it harder on everybody. Um, cause Roger is so off the wall, like Bugs Bunny is calm and collected and he pulls out like acme related gags here and there but roger is mm -hmm. supposed to be all over the frame at all like times early daffy duck. literally supposed to like make animators work until they have like nothing but yeah. bone um <laughs> it's just brutal but it's so beautiful to see it kind of come together so yeah those, those are my feelings on, yeah. on who framed roger rabbit yeah the animation like they do really crazy things. There's a scene where Roger like bumps into a lamp and the lamp is swinging back and forth while they're talking. And they had to painfully like animate each shadow of Roger over everybody as the lamp is going back and forth, like did it on purpose to make it hard on themselves to show off something that most people like don't even. Right. Nobody even don't just like their industry friends would be like, Oh shit. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. They, yeah. they pulled together a whole bunch of voice actors. Like it's the original Betty Boo voice actor that does the Bo Betty oh, Boo really? bit. Yeah. Stuff like that. They made a deal between Disney and Warner brothers to it's have both characters actually made that happen. Yeah. yeah. And the Warner brothers said like, only if we have exactly the same amount of screen time as a big Disney character. And yeah. so every time you see a Warner brothers character, they're off of a Disney character. So they're one in one together it's like mickey and Jesus. bugs daffy <laughs> and hilarious. donald like they're one and one for the exact because they had to be set to the second exact screen time um so it's cool how all that stuff gets pulled together uh jessica rabbit is interestingly <laughs> over the top yeah um very just, sexy cartoon character yeah bob hoskins <laughs> they told him to like imagine like the sexiest thing he could think of and he was like at the premiere he was like that's way more than i was thinking of. <laughs> um yeah, Darla, Darla was, like, bothered by how she gets, like, captured in this way where the old man, like, puts on her to play patty cake. And then Bob uh -huh. Hoskins' character is, like, taking pictures of it. And it feels very, like, even though it's supposed to be, like, oh, they're not actually having sex. But then it's, like, oh, they're playing patty. And it's weird. And it's a little bit, like, old man taking advantage of a woman. And, like, yeah, a lot of stuff comes off weird in that context too so yeah, like, it's meant to be that they're fucking right it's just like it's a cartoon so they just have them play patty cake i think it's supposed to be like implied he's catching her have sex but they're playing patty cake uh -huh. and then that upsets roger because like as a, it's funny like as a cartoon like i guess right that like oh patty cake's a big deal to a cartoon rabbit uh -huh, you know? yeah um one other interesting thing and this is what i thought you, you know you talked about the noir plot or whatever maybe being a little hackneyed 
it actually comes from a sequel to Chinatown and the Two Jakes. Yeah. So two sequels are pinned to Chinatown, the one that eventually became the Two Jakes, and the other one became Frame Roger Rabbit, which is based on a book, but the plot about the uh, highway being built through Toontown is supposed to be being built through Chinatown. And that mm. that's like buying out the company uh, that buys out all the trolleys and all that stuff. That was the plot in that script. So they did take like a noir script and then slap the Who Framed Roger Rabbit book kind of on top of it and merge the two together. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. So, it, but it does feel like also the story also, of yeah. an oppressed race of people. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Very. Yeah. yeah very. So, which I mean, it is right. Like Chinatown vaguely deals with that, but it kind of keeps it at arm's length. Yeah. Interesting. So cool. I still hmm. recommend it. Like I, I think, and I do get like Disney's probably really embarrassed of this movie by now. I'm surprised they put it on <laughs> Disney Plus because it seemed like at a time they were trying to hype it up and then it kind of just quietly went away. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they they just so much like cater to children, even in their PG-13 movies where they're like, oh, we're getting edgy. We're doing a PG-13 and it's like still really, you know, just sanitized and there's not yeah. that much stuff in it that actually is that offensive that Who Framed Roger Rabbit goes further than... Yeah, anything they've yeah, done anything in a they long do, yeah. time, yeah, yeah. It's better than Cool World. Yeah, that's Ralph Bakshi's, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, that's his territory. Speaking of Bakshi mm -hmm. and other movies that don't do it as well, <laughs> yeah. But that one's. I mean, the animation's cool. The animation's really good. Not, yeah, yeah. Everything else, is everything just, else. Oh. Is yeah, cool. Right. We'll hand it off. Dixon. All right, cool. Uh, so I have a recommend. Um, I saw Paul Schrader's The Card Counter that is out in theaters now. Um, I love Paul Schrader. Uh, he, um, you know, famously wrote uh, Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, some of Martin Scorsese's most high-profile films. He is also a great director in his own right. Um, if you like Paul Schrader, you'll like The Card Counter. If you don't, you probably won't. It's very Paul Schrader. Um, feels a lot like First Reformed, a lot like Taxi Driver. Oscar Isaac uh, is the lead, um, who is a uh, former... U.S. soldier who is a disillusioned and likes to sit alone in his hotel room and journal and voiceover. So, you know, his Paul Schrader's normal main character. Um, but uh, Oscar Isaac, uh, he plays a character who has been in prison for eight and a half years and while in prison has learned to count cards. And now to make a living, he goes around from casino to casino playing blackjack and poker and, you know, constantly kind of counting the odds in his head and winning enough to live off of, but not enough to flag the casinos so they will, like, kick him out. Yeah. Um, because he makes a point at, at one point, he says, like, casinos don't even mind players that count cards and win. They just mind if you count cards and win big. So you just got to keep it small and they don't really care. You win a few hundred bucks, you leave. Um, and he likes kind of staying anonymous and on the fringes of society and doing this. Um, then he meets a character played by Tiffany Haddish, who runs a stable of high stakes poker players where she raises money from rich people and funds these players. And they play in these big World Series of Poker tournaments and then they split the winnings with their financial backers. So it allows them to uh, go into larger buy ins and they might feel comfortable doing. Um, then additionally, there's a, a, 
another character played by Ty Sheridan, who is a younger guy whose dad was in the military with Oscar Isaac. They meet at a seminar at a casino that's being put on by a former army colonel played by Willem Dafoe, who um, basically has a, uh, he kind of made his name in Iraq in Abu Ghraib, like training soldiers to commit terrible crimes and against uh, prisoners and, and advanced interrogation, AKA torture. Oscar Isaac was one of those soldiers and then basically took the downfall and, and, went to prison and Willem Dafoe got off scot-free mm. and Ty Sheridan is really obsessed with taking revenge out on Willem Dafoe and Oscar Isaac kind of takes him under his wing and is like, Hey, no, you like, you know, that's not a great idea. Let me help you out. Try to get you, you know, give you some life advice, get you back on your feet. And the movie kind of follows Oscar Isaac and Ty Sheridan as they go around the country, going to different casinos, participating in different poker tournaments, things like that. It's very uh, Bressonian in style. Uh, Paul Schrader is very heavily influenced by Robert Bresson. Um, First Reformed pulls heavily from Diary of a Country Priest. Uh, the Card Counter pulls heavily from uh, Pickpocket, uh, which actually ins inspired me to go back and watch Pickpocket after this. Mm. But I like this movie a lot. It, it's very Paul Schrader. Like I said, it, it's kind of pulling his traditional narrative that he's done so well many times and putting it in a different context. And... Uh, has he has different things to say using that narrative with the new context that he brings it into. Oscar Isaac is incredible in it, um, one of the best performances of the year. Um, Robert Rassan famously has non-actors and has them just read their lines blankly. And Schrader, like, he has actors that are giving real performances, but Schrader is definitely kind of having them tone it down a bit. And it works really well in this story. And o Oscar Isaac clearly has a lot of stuff in his past that he's dealing with, but in kind of a stoic manner and that kind of his time in prison has just kind of made him kind of a shell of who he was previously. So that kind of reserved performance really plays well into who the character is. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was really great. It's not quite as powerful as first reformed or taxi driver, but still really good. Um, and has, uh, has a, a lot to say and I, I really enjoyed it. Would definitely highly recommend anybody to go check it out. Cool. And that's out in theaters right now. It is. Yep. Uh, I went, saw it two nights in a row this past week cause I saw it once and I couldn't stop thinking about it for 24 hours. <laughs> like I'm just going to go see this again. Nice. Um, so yeah, out in theaters right now. Cool. Um, yeah, I have a, now I'm still torn in my head about whether or not I want to <laughs> recommend or refute it. But I'm gonna new, this is another drinking game. If John can recommend or not, he's oh it's, yeah, because yeah. John Recafute, clearly loved gotta, this movie, whatever it is, but I doesn't think other it, people. Back yeah, into a that's corner. the problem. I'm backed into uh, a corner now. You know, I had the thought the other day, about it and then we'll see. Yeah, let's let's do that. That's yeah. the new John thing. I should just talk <laughs> more about it until I'm like, you know what? Yeah. Logically, by everything I've said, it must be this. <laughs> um, so I watched a movie called The Exigency. It is a one-man produced, one-man directed, one-man written show, uh, completely CGI, 2019 by Cody Vibert. Um, it took him 13 years to make this film <laughs> using a piece of software that has been around since 1995. He started in 2006 with a software called Poser, where you're allowed to put character models in and put them in T-poses and then have it kind of correlate to, I believe, a camera skeleton movement kind of thing. 
it's a part of a trilogy that he has. <laughs> he is working on a passion project trilogy. So that's part of why I was interested in this movie is because it's fascinating that there is somebody out there who I believe he's part of the visual effects community. Um, if you look up his IMDb, he has worked on a lot of movies uh, as visual effects, kind of like assistant. Um, and this movie it's a, it's a really long, <laughs> it's really, it feels super long. Um, but it, it had so many moments that are so conflictingly funny and at the same time, like earnest and what he's trying to do. There's funny this whole, and that they're supposed to be or mixed, okay. kind of mixed. There's okay. some stuff that like, cause from the YouTube he, video I watched of this, yeah. it's pure. He, he's, <laughs> he's pretty self-aware of exactly yeah. what's going on at any given time in his in his Don't movie. let this be a, an example yeah. of his actual visual work. Like, yeah, obviously, yeah. it must be better. It, but I hope he's better than this. This, this looks like a at PlayStation point, 2 game Yeah, uh, that yeah. just is like a rendered cutscene. Supposedly, two, he was so hour, far into months. it when better, like a newer version and better software came out, but he was like, I don't want to trash everything and start over. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm looking at the IMDb page, and the screenshots are just horrifying. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. So, so bad. here's, I watched it with two friends. And we sat down, we were like, okay, we know it's not going to look great, but like the first 10 minutes of it are kind of getting past that. Like there are goofy gags that are done that are pretty funny, um, both from like just the way it's visually set up and also just how awkward the character models look, it lends to it. Like he's clearly leaning into a lot of the creative aspects of, of like his limitations. Um, but yeah, the whole, the whole premise is basically like there's a guy who lives on earth and his name uh, escapes me at the moment. It's Kyle. His name's Kyle, everybody. Um, Kyle has a family, uh, Melissa, Timmy, and Becky. And Timmy is played, uh, I believe he's a 10-year-old boy, played by like a 33-year-old man doing a Texas accent um, who is not from Texas. So it's great. Uh, so Kyle's about to get a big promotion at his office. It's a great day for everybody. His boss brings him in. They shake hands. They're talking about how much money he's going to get. And then just a, an alien ship comes out of nowhere and blows a hole in the wall and like kills his boss or like almost does. And then it's just an extended three to five minute sequence of Kyle literally running in this awkward CGI way through all of these rooms, like bashing walls down with his shoulder and just like, I don't know, it's just chaos. It looks like something that like, if, if there's one person behind this animating it, this seems like it's a nightmare sequence, like a Richard Williams test of, of, grit um kyle gets to the bottom of this floor and that's when these cops show up and one of them has a gigantic like sheriff's hat for no reason like literally just out of nowhere and he's wearing a like a policeman's uniform but he has like a sheriff hat and like he's a immediately, yosemite sam yeah kind of hat. it's like a really big yeah and then he grabs like somebody's loudspeaker and he's like aliens stop it stop doing what you're doing <laughs> and he starts firing wildly into the air to like shoot the alien and all of all of these people like come out of nowhere with guns and they're firing on these alien ships that are not taking any damage. And uh, meanwhile, like our main character, Kyle has commandeered a car and is driving to pick up his wife and he calls and it's like the classic kind of action, like get your things. We're getting out of there. Don't ask questions. Just do it now. And the whole time you're watching this, your eyes are like visually rejecting everything you're seeing because it's so <laughs> gross um, from a CGI standpoint. But uh, the music is really tense. There's explosions everywhere. There's a lot of really weird shit happening. Um, and they, and then that's when they're like, okay, now we got to go get our kids. Now that I've got my wife, um, the kids, it cuts to like them on a bus and the bus driver is doing kind of like a casual, like you kids keep it down back there, blah, blah, blah. 
And that's when we're introduced to Timmy, who is, by the way, like the greatest character in this film. Uh, anytime he's on screen, we all audibly cheered. We wanted Timmy to have more lines. We wanted him to have all the lines, actually, and just do all the dialogue. Because the first note we get from him is he's like, oh, man, my mom made a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I asked for peanut butter and banana. And it's like, that's exactly how <laughs> that's it talks. It's <laughs> exactly the read. And, and he talks like that the whole film. And he says all of these things that like a kid would not say. Uh, and it, it's just like this weird, it just feels like a fever dream. Um, we find out that Kyle is not from earth. Kyle's from some random ass planet where there are also humans who I guess like Ridley Scotted over to earth. <laughs> like They were they Oh, the, these humans were just an experiment on earth and we're really, we're from some other kingdom and there's some other, uh, evil race of people that are trying to like kill all of us because science fiction future, whatever it's world building stuff. Um, they just really, it's just an excuse to do all these like kind of visual challenges for uh, Cody and the entire time, the main character played by Tom Haney. I don't actually know who Tom Haney is. I just know that his voice is very monotonous. He does like a gruff bad guy voice or badass voice the entire movie where he's like, everybody keeps trying to call him by his old alien name, which is like Virash or something. And he's like, I'm Kyle now, but he's like, I told you I'm Kyle. And everybody's like, yeah, whatever, Kyle. Like, and, like an Eastwood kind of thing? Yeah, it's kind of like an Eastwood thing. And he's like, uh, we're going to my planet where all of this stuff happened. And he meets like this oafish king who has basically fucked up their whole planet's political system. Um, and they're now being overtaken by these other military force. We never get to see Earth again. We never get to know anything about Earth. I guess it's just destroyed by aliens and they've escaped. Um, and the rest of the movie is literally like whatever you and the people you're watching can make of it. Like there's, right. a, there's, there is clearly a structure of like, Hey, here's these characters. Here's this race of aliens. Here's this thing that's happening. Here's kind of how this is set up, but it, it literally leans into all of these tropes and merges them with, um, I hesitate to say like some kind of neo abstract art form of like a nostalgia centric CGI, uh, rendering of like a, I don't know, like the, the entire time we watched it, I was like, this is a really good cutscene for like a PS2 game. Right. And it's <laughs> so absurdly done by one person that the winks and nods at what's going on, like there's also attention to details that are really nice to, to notice. At one point in time, the character Timmy, he's being shown around a spaceship and the guy who's showing him is like, yeah, here's the console where we push all these buttons. This one shoots lasers and you can destroy uh, any kind of asteroids that are in our way. It's how we get through debris and whatever. Timmy's like, oh, cool. And he pushes it once. And then he just starts pushing it like again and again. It's like, doom, 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 doom. and the guy just looks at him slowly. Like there's a slow head turn. That's really uncanny because of the <laughs> CGI. And the guy just continues to look as he's like, doom, 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 doom. and then the guy turns his head slowly back. And then we get a flash of an eject button <laughs> and the guy pushes the eject button and Timmy just flies out of the spaceship. <laughs> and then it cuts hard to that dude being like in a daydream where he's like, huh? He's like, yeah, you like that button, Timmy? And Timmy's like, yeah, I do. And he keeps pushing it. And then we cut to another scene where characters are talking. And in the background, you hear like the muffled <laughs> continued shooting of it. So there's just this continuity that's maintained creatively where at any point in time, Cody knows exactly what kind of movie he's making. It's very much kind of like his baby, his passion project. And um, at the end of it, uh, one of my friends was like, I stopped registering that it was unsettling to look at. Like I just got really engaged in a lot of the action. Like it oddly drew mm. us in. It became captivating. Mm. There was a period of time 
for about 10 minutes where I was like, this is starting to dip. Like the pace was dragging. It's a, it's 112 minutes long. So it's a pretty lengthy movie um, for something done by one guy. And there's a whole like diplomatic section where it's like 10 minutes of them talking at like a gala and all this other stuff. And uh, trade negotiations. Yeah. And- trade negotiate all that. And, <laughs> and my friend was like, man, when is it going to pick back up? And that's when another alien ship came out of nowhere and blew shit up. And we were like, ah, it's happening. And then Kyle just starts running through walls again. And I was like, oh, he's doing the thing. Like, and so there are just these moments where I was like, oh, okay, you can get behind it. If you really, it's cheesy and it's not a great film. Cody knows it. Um, but he very much is in love with what he's making and it's that kind of energy that can carry you forward watching it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm happy. He also made it free. Um, recently hmm. he was like, I'm just going to make this movie free for anybody who wants to watch it. Cause he's working on a sequel now, which has immensely better graphics, uh, but they're still not great. Um, <laughs> looks like a PS3 game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's such a get there. there. Um, but yeah, I, I think in terms of like, if you're really interested to follow, somebody's passion project and really follow where it's going to go. This is probably going to end up being like, like a six hour feature trilogy kind of thing. And it's going to be vast leaps of like technology and skill. And it's just a really cool kind of sample from that regard. And so that's why I'm torn because I don't necessarily want to recommend it and have everybody be assaulted visually by what it is, but it is free on YouTube. And I would recommend checking out, at least like 10 minutes of it to get a real taste of like the fever dream that it is. Um, and by the end of it, like uh, me and my friends were like, that was actually a fun movie. We really enjoyed it. So it's not groundbreaking. Um, it's not necessarily have anything that it really wants to say that's pressing. Uh, it's kind of like you can tell that there's somebody here who loves science fiction that's trying to work out their own world. It's just cool from a creative standpoint to see this effort made. So yeah, I guess I would recommend this. Does uh, the plot like make sense? The plot makes More or less enough sense. Enough sense? It okay. makes enough sense. And there's enough of, um, even though it's a trilogy, there's enough of kind of an arc at the end where you're like, okay, uh, okay. That, that's fair enough. I can see that being the conflict that happens here and then how it would lead into the next thing. Okay. So Watching yeah. a trailer of this before, it looked to me like pure nonsense. Oh. Like the poor animation, <laughs> the like, oh, you're an alien from another planet. It looked like it couldn't possibly. So you, the fact that you even were like, yeah, it's watchable. Yeah. It's very surprising to me. <laughs> uh, there is a lot of like the, okay, I, I'm willing to give you, there's a bit of patience and like, I'm willing to give you the time to lay out this. It's not great world building necessarily, but it's world building and I'm able to understand and ingest it. And I had a good time kind of with what was going on. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very much like he got it out and he was like, I'm done. This is like my first portion time to start on the next thing, which is going to take like seven years solo project. Maybe that's what he's quoting. Now he's like, Oh, I've got a system down. He's also doing it with new software and a bunch of new stuff that he's having to relearn. But yeah, from like the solo artist kind of creative standpoint, it's just really cool to see. He had a bunch of like visual effects, people like help him out with it or like it's kind of that community is cheering him on. Um, so yeah, for an independent project, I dig it. I thought it was cool. It sounds like something that's right up your alley. Like you, you oh, yeah. definitely <laughs> like singular visions that may or may not. They don't be always what land. They're they don't supposed always to hit. be. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's earnest. <laughs> why? Why is it called the exigency? I don't exactly know because they never try to drop the title in the movie. Mm. They never do any of. It's not the name of the ship that he goes in. It's not the name of who. Like I don't know some kind of military force or anything. Yeah. Right? It's just hmm. there. Um, so I, I didn't even look that far into it. It's just after it was done, I was like, man, that was a hell of a movie. Like there's a lot of stuff that 
Yeah. Even my friends who aren't like super big film buffs were just like, he's doing a lot in this scene. Like, damn, there's so much that's being put together to orchestrate how crazy this is. Um, and, and that was just kind of like, that's the impressive part about it. Uh, that's what I found really interesting, compelling. So cool. Yeah. Um, and with that, uh, we're, we're at the end of this, uh, uh, this episode. So I want to thank you all for joining me. I have been, wait, I got to pick, yeah, yeah, I got to pick yeah. the movie next wait. week. Yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> are we, are we not doing, are we not having a next episode? What's going on? Let's, let's do a, another take from the top. All right, we're at the end of the episode. Anyways, I've been. I'm just <laughs> got that, John. <laughs> All right, Dixon, you're the picker, man. What you uh, got? Yeah, I am the picker. Um, so uh, I, uh, Branded to Kill, um, you know, has a lot of film noir stylized aspects in it. Um, it kind of made me want to go watch a film noir. Um, also, John and I were talking to a friend of ours, um, Lane. What's up, Lane? Who uh, was asking us about The Big Sleep, and uh, neither of us had seen it. Something that's been on my list for a while that I've wanted to watch. Uh, it's from 1946, directed by Howard Hawks, starring Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. Uh, one of the classic film noirs that I have not seen. So uh, I'm excited to check it out. Um, I love double indemnity and and those kind of noirs and I've, I've heard that this is kind of in that category and um is is a lot of fun also the article that lane sent us about it said it was very like um had a very strange ending so um in interested to to check it out and discuss yeah um, right. it's available to rent wherever you rent things whatever tech monopoly you rent your shit from you can get it there <laughs> <laughs> um Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I haven't seen The Big Sleep either. I'm pretty excited to, to check this out. Uh, Ryan, did you have you seen it? Uh, yeah, I have seen it. I thought you were gonna, I think there's a newer remake. I thought you were about to say that, and I was oh, like, Oh no, 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 no! I didn't know there was a remake. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, and with that, uh, yeah, we are out of time, everybody. This has been uh, the Knights of the Underground Table. I am your host, John Garcia, and with me as always, it's Ryan King and, and Michael Dixon. Thanks for putting up with our bullshit. <laughs>